to the gym and not thinking about it being a shower, I saw a bunch of the ladies knuckles deep into ice cream and I thought maybe it had just been a rough week. <laughs> you know, but, but, then it, but then it hit me what, what was going on in there. But anyway, it's, it's, good, to, it's good to see you guys. If, uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This is our, this is our fourth week in our verse-by-verse study of this incredible book. We, we've taken some time to study already this special relevance that this book has to those of us living right now, those of us living in this day and age. And, and one of the reasons is because each chapter of this book ends with, the, with, a, a, with a comment about, am I, am I doing something wrong that's causing that? Okay. Each, each of these chapters ends with a reference to the coming of the Lord. And, and this book is actually in our Bible to prepare us for that day. It's to prepare us for the coming of the Lord. And we've seen for that reasons and others, if it's as late as the game as I believe that it is and many others believe that it is, then this book of 1 Thessalonians is actually more relevant to us than any group of people in all of history. It's kind of a crazy thing to think about because we may just be the group of people that end up raptured off of this planet that don't taste of death. And, and in the midst of that, over the weeks, and, and specifically last week, as we, as we understood the relevance of this particular book to our lives, we've seen that much of what chapter 1 of this book it lays out for us, it's actually laying out for us a description of the model church, the, the church of the Thessalonians, man, they, they did this thing the right way, and God used this church in some unbelievable ways. And, and last week, what we did was we began looking at some of the characteristics of this church. We, we, we were hoping that we might be able to glean from them and learn from their example. And, and last week, we finished verse 4. And, and so this week, we're going to pick up this morning... If you'll pick up with me in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And, and, and so I, I, I wanted to address this verse so that you don't think that I'm skipping over it, because, but, but we're going to hang on this rim and address this verse in more detail in the coming weeks, most likely in two weeks when, when I preach again. But we, we won't be skipping any verses in this book, but if I, if I pull everything out of this verse that there is to glean, we're going to end up rabbit trailing ourselves down a different, different road. Because this morning I want us to see the remaining things in chapter 1 that I believe the Lord wants us to learn so that we can follow the model that the church of the Thessalonians has set for us. Today is about the characteristics that God wants Cali Harbin Baptist Church to have. That, that's what this is about. Last week we, 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 we saw the, how powerful it was and that, of, of all the things that were going on back in that church. And in, in what's going on here in verse 5 and what it's also continuing to teach us is that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they brought the message of the gospel to the Thessalonians. And what this verse 5 is teaching us is, is that the power of the Holy Spirit 
was at work. Again, we'll hang more on this verse later, but what I want you to know is that power of the Holy Spirit was very much at work. It was powerful, and those that received it were completely and radically changed. Last week, we we saw the fact that this group of Thessalonians, you'll recall, these were a bunch of idol worshipers previously. They turned from that sin, and they turned to God, and you can imagine what an unbelievable transformation that had to be. The power of the Holy Spirit was working in their lives, and it was working through Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and there's this unbelievable change in their lives to the point where they go from worshiping idols one day to ultimately not long later becoming this example of the model church for all of us to follow that's a pretty incredible change and last week we we looked at one what some of those characteristics of the church of the thessalonians actually were and we we studied that they were described as having a work of faith a labor of love and patience of hope. And we saw what that actually meant. We saw what that actually looked like. And it wasn't hard to figure out because God actually described what that looked like for us in verses 9 and 10 of the same chapter. Verse 9 and 10 basically provides for us a commentary on verse 3. And so similar to last week, I'd like for us to continue looking at the characteristics of this model church. This is the characteristic, characteristics of the church continued. Because in addition to their work of faith and their labor of love and their patience of hope, verse 6 begins to teach us more of what was characteristic of this church. And that brings us to the first point on your outline, which is they learned to follow. They learned to follow. And that may not seem like a very good thing at a glance because following as opposed to leading, isn't usually viewed as a, as a good thing, but I think it'll make sense to you in a minute. But they, they followed letter A, their leaders. They followed letter A, their, their leaders. Verse 6 says, And ye became followers of us. And, and for the Thessalonians to follow their spiritual leaders what I, what I want you to realize is, is that took a level of humility and that took a level of discernment. They, they had to be humble enough and they had to be willing to learn from what Paul, Silas, and Timothy were teaching them and have the discernment to know where Paul, Silas, and Timothy's shortcomings were because those are obviously things that shouldn't be followed. Paul would be the first guy to admit that despite being the greatest christian that ever lived paul would be the first guy to admit and he that he wasn't perfect and he did that on multiple occasions in the bible but despite that he but despite that he said in, that the thessalonians were followers of him as well as silas and timothy and and of course paul talks about this at other times as well this isn't some obscure verse in first corinthians 11 1 Paul says something similar, but he says it like this. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Listen, God is for the idea of following godly men as they follow Christ. It's why verse verse 6 says that the Thessalonians were followers of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, 
and of the Lord. Do you see that? That's letter B, the Lord. It's a, they were followers of Paul, Silas, and Timothy and their Lord because we're doing that. We're following them and being aware of their shortcomings and we're following them not blindly, but we're following them as they follow Christ. That's why it says, and followers of the Lord. The only way you can be followers of both, the only way you can be followers of Paul, Silas, and Timothy and of the Lord is to not follow where a man has shortcomings. If there's any part of their life that isn't following Christ, you have the discernment to not follow in that area. So if there's a, there's a person or a leader or a pastor, and they're a soul-winning machine, then follow them as they follow Christ and see what they're doing and do that. If there's a person, a leader, or a pastor who's making disciples and establishing people in the faith, seeing people grow at a rapid rate as a result of their investment in their disciple, then follow them as they follow Christ and do that. If you see a person, a leader, or a pastor who has kids that are well-behaved, who are raising their kids, or who have already raised their kids biblically, and discipline them biblically, then follow them as they follow Christ and see what they're doing or see what they did and do that. But if any of those people, leaders, or pastors that I just mentioned, if despite their strengths, they have other holes in their lives where God isn't getting the victory, then have the discernment to not follow them there. At some point in all of our lives, we all need to learn to follow, but we need to do it as they follow Christ. In the Thessalonians, they were followers of godly men and followers of the Lord. Again, you can't both be a follower of godly men of the Lord and of the Lord if you follow the godly men where they're falling short of their walk with the Lord. It, it takes humility and it takes discernment. But, but in the midst of following, interestingly enough, what we find is, number two, they learn to lead. In the midst of following, what we find is, is that they, they actually learned to lead. In, in the midst of following, what happened was is that they then became leaders. And, and we're going to come back to the rest of verse 6, but, but look at verse 7 with me. 1 Thessalonians 1.7, it says, So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia... And Achaia, for from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. So do you, do you see that in these verses? After becoming followers in verse 6, in verse 7, we see that that actually led to them becoming leaders. It says they were in samples, or they were examples to those in their region and every place. And, and that brings us to a very important biblical principle that we need to understand. You'll never be a godly leader unless you learn to follow first. Biblically, that's the order. <laughs> that's the sequence. In order to lead, first you have to learn to follow. And, and the Thessalonians did such a good job of following that they then became the ensamples to those in their region and every place. And I know that word ensample, it's not really a word that we use 
anymore these days. But man, it's a, it's a great word. Because the best example of anything would be a sample of it, wouldn't it? When you get a sample of something, you're getting a taste of the real thing. They were an ensample of the Lord. It was as if all of those people that, were, that, that they were an example to had a little sample of the Lord Jesus Christ right in front of them. And, and they followed Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and they followed the Lord, and they became ensamples to everyone else. And that's what God desires of us. God desires that when others see us, when they see the way we live our lives, and they see our work of faith, and labor of love and patience of hope, and they see the way that we follow the Lord, that what they've actually seen is a sample of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're actually getting a taste of the real thing. But in order to lead like that and and be an example, first, they had to follow. They followed godly men and the Lord, and the next thing you know, they're the ones leading. That's how it works. And one of the reasons they were an ensample to all these people and, and what attracted their attention to them as this example or ensample that was worthy of being followed is because, number three, is because they joyed in affliction. They, they joyed in affliction. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6 and 7 again with me, and I'll show you this. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, like we just saw. And and what was one of the specific ways that they followed Paul, Silas, and Timothy and the Lord? What was one of those ways? Well, it was like this. Having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Verse 7. So that, or because of that, Ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Okay, so the church of the Thessalonians, they, they became followers of Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and the Lord. And as the church followed the example that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and the Lord Jesus Christ set, it led them to receive the word of God with joy despite their affliction and despite their persecution. And, and as the church of the Thessalonians followed the Lord and Paul, Silas, and Timothy down that path, they became leaders and examples in their region and beyond. Uh, some of you will remember that, that just a few weeks ago in the, in the first message in this series, we, we took a look back at the book of Acts, especially chapter 17. We were looking to see how it was that this church of the Thessalonians was actually started because we have that recorded for us. And in the midst of that, we we saw the account of some of this affliction that's being referenced in 1 Thessalonians 1.6. But even before the the affliction in Thessalonica, according to Acts 16, what was going on was that Paul and Silas were thrown into jail and they were beaten with many stripes in Philippi. And and, and of course, this is where we find the, the story of the Philippian jailer and the, the earthquake opens the prison, and the, the jailer's assuming that Paul and Silas escaped. The jailer's about to kill himself, and instead they end up leading him and his family to the Lord. This is when that happens. This is what was happening right before Paul, Silas, and Timothy get to, Thess- get to Thessalonica. 
And according to 1 Thessalonians 2, 2, the Thessalonians, listen, they were well aware of the fact of what all had gone on in Philippi and the way that they were treated right before they showed up on the scene in Thessalonica. And so this is the example that the Thessalonians followed. They were aware of the way that these guys had been treated in, in Philippi, and, and, and they saw how that despite that affliction, they found joy of the Holy Ghost. And then as a result of following this example, of course, the, again, the Thessalonians become examples to others because they ended up having some persecution of their own that they ended up having to deal with. At Acts 17, 5, it says that it says they got them some lewd fellows of the baser sort, and they assaulted the house of Jason. That, that, that's, what, that's what they did. I, I told you a couple weeks ago, we got, we got us a lewd fellow that sort of plays the bass. They had them a, they had them a lewd fellow of, of the baser sort. They assaulted the house of Jason. But, but by following Paul's example that was set in the, in the midst of their persecution in Philippi, as well as our Lord's example on the cross, for that matter, these Thessalonians saw that and they were able to endure this affliction with joy. It's one thing to make it to the other side of intense persecution, but it's another thing to make it on the other side with joy. There's a big difference there. It, it would be easy to feel like God had forsaken them, but they had followed the example that Paul had set. And Paul's response to his persecution at Philippi, it, it, it's actually one of many times that we, receive, that we see him respond with joy in the midst of affliction and persecution because in Acts 20, 24, Paul says, but none of these things move me. And he's talking about afflictions and persecutions. None of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You see, the afflictions and the persecutions in Paul's life weren't going to move him, y'all, because he didn't count his own life as dear to himself. Paul didn't count his life dear to himself because as far as he was concerned, he was already dead. His life wasn't his own anymore. He was crucified with Christ's. His life was already Christ. It wasn't dear unto him because he didn't even view it as being his own life anymore. And so he looked ahead to the day that he would finish his course, the verse says. He looked ahead to that day in the future when this temporal life is over and we're standing before the Lord. And that's how he was able to go through all that he went through with joy. Most people on this planet are a victim of circumstance. They're as high as their circumstances are, and they're as low as their circumstances are. And if most of us received affliction and persecution, we would probably feel like God has forsaken me. But not when you have the perspective of Paul. He looked ahead to the day when he'd finish his course and he didn't count his life dear unto himself because his life wasn't his own anymore. And that's how he lived through afflictions with joy. 
And that's what he modeled for the Thessalonians, and then that's what they modeled in their region and beyond. Remember how we were talking last week about what a patience of hope was? It's not obvious right at a glance exactly what that what that is, we saw that the hope portion of it is, it, it's not just the desire for Christ's coming, that blessed hope, but it's desire and assurance of his coming. Meaning, you're desiring that day, and you're just as sure it's going to happen as if it's already happened. In the, in the patience portion of having a patience of hope is having patience despite our circumstances. Meaning, again, we're looking ahead to the coming of the Lord, and that empowers us to have patience in the midst of any circumstances. And Jesus modeled that for us, as well as Paul. Last week, we looked at Hebrews 12, 2, and I want you to see it again. Hebrews 12, 2, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was able to have patience in the midst of the shame, in the midst of the pain of dying on the cross by looking to the future, looking to the joy that was set before him when it would all be worth it. That's having patience of hope, and, and that's what Paul modeled as well. And that patience of hope that we saw last week, man, that thing goes hand in hand with receiving the word with joy despite having much affliction. Like Paul and Jesus modeled, you can have a patience of hope and you can have joy in much affliction because you don't count your own life dear unto yourself because you understand your life isn't your own, isn't your own anymore. And because you're not focused on this life, your focus is looking to the next life. I love how Peter lays this out in, in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. 1 Peter 4, 12, it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. This is what happened to the church at Thessalonica. They received the word in much affliction and persecution. They had a fiery trial. Verse 13, but rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. He's saying, you're suffering and Christ also suffered. So you're a partaker of his sufferings in that way, but you're also suffering on Christ's behalf. The spirit that's really behind the persecution that you're receiving, it's really meant for Christ. That's who they really hate. So you're partaking of Christ's sufferings. Continuing in verse 13, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. When, when Jesus comes back is when his glory is going to be revealed. And, and like this verse says, and, and we're looking to that day so that we can have exceeding joy and be glad that we have that we've given Christ glory and suffered on his behalf, just like he suffered on our behalf. Verse 14, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. 
On their part, he is evil spoken of. Oh, man, but on your part, he is glorified. Peter's saying they may bring persecution on us. They may bring affliction upon us, but the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us. In fact, verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians 1 that we're looking at says the joy and affliction that we have is of the Holy Ghost or of the Holy Spirit, the, the Spirit is rests on us, it resides in us, and despite what's happening in the midst of affliction and trials and persecutions, we can have joy that comes from the Holy Ghost because that's He's in us and on us. Because though the Spirit that, that though that Spirit that's at work behind those that are meeting out that affliction, they mean it for evil against the Lord when they do that. But verse 14 of 1 Peter 4 says that we can have joy because in the midst of that, though they mean that for evil, God is getting glory in the midst of that. Listen, y'all, if, if, if we can't suffer wrong, and I'm not even talking about these major physical beatings and persecutions that Paul, Silas, and Timothy and the Thessalonians went through where they suffered physical violence for their beliefs. If we can't suffer wrong without having to get them back, if we can't suffer wrong without having to get in the last word, if we can't suffer wrong without giving someone an earful back, then we are nowhere close to applying this verse to our lives. They had joy in affliction. What, what, if, what if we started with, if someone does us wrong, instead of our knee-jerk reaction being to do them wrong back, what if we had the joy that's found in the Holy Ghost, knowing that responding that way pleases the Lord and gives Him glory? Sure, you don't have to love whatever happened to you, and it can be frustrating, but there's joy to be found in the midst of that. And, and, and listen, this is something that arrested the attention of, of the region of Thessalonica and beyond because they didn't just receive the word with a lot of affliction and muscle through it. They weren't sitting around moping and licking their wounds and feeling sorry for themselves. No, they, they had joy in the midst of it. Man, it's easy to have joy when everything's going good. <laughs> when the sun's shining, everything's, everything's going good, everyone's healthy, money's in the bank, top down, the music's up. It's easy to have joy laid back. <laughs> it's, it's, easy, it's easy to have joy. God's good, isn't he? But man, what about when things get tough? Is he still good then? Any, anybody can have joy when things are good. The light shines to others, though, when you can joy in affliction. That's when the rubber meets the road. There's joy to be found through the Holy Ghost knowing that the Lord is glorified in the midst of our affliction as we look to the day that He comes back and our reward is in heaven. Another characteristic of this model church at Thessalonica is that they spread the word. Number four, they, they spread the word. Pick back up with me in verse 7 of, of chapter 1 if you would. 1 Thessalonians 1, 7. So that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And here it is. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord 
not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we not need speak anything. The word of the Lord, it, it sounded out from the church of the Thessalonians to such a degree that Paul, Silas, and Timothy say, we didn't even need to say anything anymore. So many people had already received the gospel. So many people had already heard the gospel from the church of the Thessalonians that Paul, Silas, and Timothy barely needed to say anything. Now, now I want you to consider something. There couldn't have been much time between Paul, Silas, and Timothy leaving Thessalonica and the writing of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Are you tracking with that? Not much time passed. We don't know exactly how much time passed, but it, it wasn't a whole lot. Okay, So the church of the Thessalonians, they went straight from being idol worshipers, according to verse 9, straight to being evangelists. Without much time passing, they go from worshiping idols to reaching people with the gospel to the extent that their faith was spread to every place. And in that short little time, the church of the Thessalonians, guess what, y'all? In that short time, they did not run off and get seminary degrees. They didn't have 18 lessons of discipleship printed off. They didn't have hundreds of hours of listening to preaching under their belt or even at their disposal. They didn't even have the Romans road to take people down. Many people believe that 1 Thessalonians was one of the first books written in the New Testament. So that means when the church of the Thessalonians received the, this letter, they didn't have much else outside of the Old Testament. I can almost guarantee you they didn't have half of what we have, and they didn't know half of what we now know about the end times and about the, about the deeper things of the Lord, which are all great things. They got teaching and discipling, but only as much as a few weeks would allow. But do you know what they did have, despite not having a whole lot of other things? They had the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and they believed it, and they understood it, and they knew it, and it changed their lives, and they shared it so much that it spread from their region to every place. They didn't have much. They weren't entrusted with much, but look at what they did with what they had and what God did entrust them with. They didn't have much, but they had the message of the gospel, and that message they had, it changed the world at that time. They didn't know a lot of the things that a lot of us have learned over the years of Bible study. But the, the beautiful thing about that is, though, is being able to look back at a group of believers that may not have known much, but man, they did something with what they knew. Second Peter chapter 1 teaches us what I believe to be one of the most monumental principles for spiritual growth in the entire Bible. And if you hang around here long enough, this won't be the last time you hear me talk about it. It teaches us that the first thing that we're to add to our faith on our path to spiritual growth is virtue. Okay, look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 5 with me, and I'm going to show you this. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, what's that next word? Virtue. And to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to 
patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. And I want you to notice the sequence in these verses. This is very important. It doesn't say, add to your faith. Here's what it doesn't say. Add to your faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness. No, it it doesn't say that. It says, add to your faith virtue, and add to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance. In other words, you're first to add virtue to your faith, not not knowledge. You're to add knowledge to your virtue. Now, so there's there's actually a sequence to this thing, and it's so important because do you know what virtue means? Virtue means you do what you know. You do, you do everything that you know to do. There's never any distance between what you know and what you do. There's never a distance. That's virtue. What good is knowledge if you don't do anything with it? And that's why the sequence is the way that it is, and that's why it's laid out. You have to add virtue to your life first. And listen, that's what the Thessalonians did. That's what they got. That's what they understood. They added virtue to their life. And what I want you to see is what God can do with a group of people that that didn't even have access to the resources that we do, didn't even have access to a New Testament, and that didn't really know diddly squat about the deeper things of God. But here's what they knew. They knew that God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. They knew that he died and was buried and rose again as a sacrifice for our sins. They knew that he took his, our place on that cross and he paid the punishment on that cross that should have been ours. And they knew that, that they needed to call upon the name, the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And they called upon the name of the Lord Jesus to save them. And they may not have known much, but they knew that, and they did something with it. They knew that now they were to tell others about that life-changing truth, and look at how God used them. They they had virtue, y'all. So with that said, I, I think we're forced to ask ourselves at this point, why is it that that isn't true of our lives? The same Spirit of God that took, it took up residence inside of them, took up residence inside of us. We were snatched out of the clutches of Satan just as much as they were. We most likely weren't worshiping idols like they were, but we had our own idols that we were worshiping. We were on the same path to hell as they were. And most of us have had way more teaching in our lives than they have ever dreamed of. But somewhere along the way, in the midst of getting saved... And learning more about the Bible and about God, something started to happen to us. There started to be a chasm and there started to be a distance between what we knew and what we did. And that's why we can't get the knowledge before the virtue in this path to spiritual growth that Peter lays out for us. Because when that happens, it stunts our growth and we become spiritually disfigured, we become spiritually deformed and what we see from the thessalonians 
It's what God can do with a group of people, regardless of what all that they know, that has fallen in love with the truth of the gospel and the person of Jesus Christ, and they're just dumb enough to do whatever he tells them to do. And the Thessalonians knew they were to share that message. The word of the Lord sounded out from them. Now, now the next verse, verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians 1, it's a, it's a verse we actually covered last week as we cross-referenced it with, with verse 3. Again, verse 3 is where we find the verse that we spent most of our time in last week as we were studying the, the Thessalonian church's work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope. And what we found was is that those what those three things look like in their lives were, it were actually described for us in verses 9 and 10 of this same chapter, like I mentioned earlier. And I would like you to look at it with me, though. Verse 9 of chapter 1, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. And, 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 and here's what their work of faith looked like. And how ye turned to God from idols. And here's what their labor of love looked like to serve the living and true God, and here's what their patience of hope looked like, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And, and I'm not going to recreate what we learned last week, but there is it one last part of verse 10 that I, I didn't get to spend much time on last week, and I want to point out this week as we conclude this first chapter of 1 Thessalonians and the part I want to emphasize is this thing of waiting for his son from heaven from verse 10. That, that's the next point on your outline. They waited for Jesus. This waiting thing, more specifically, like we've seen in the study, they were waiting for Jesus' return is specifically what they were waiting for. They were preparing for the coming of the Lord, which is the theme of this book, not to mention the Bible. But, but verse 10 says that one of the things that characterized the church of the Thessalonians is that they were waiting for Christ's return. And I want us to, you know, I want us to see this because there's a huge difference between knowing he's going to return and waiting for him to return. You know what I mean? We're to be looking for Jesus to return. We're to be looking for the rapture, the day as, as 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says that we'll meet Jesus in the air. Now, I, I think that it's worth noting as we're here, there's, there's certainly plenty of debate concerning eschatology or, or how things are going to shake out at the end. And I, I think it's worth noting what verse 10 doesn't say that we're to be waiting for. It doesn't say that we're to be waiting for the tribulation period. It doesn't say we're to be waiting for the Antichrist to be revealed. It doesn't say we're to be waiting for some sort of revival. It doesn't say that we're to be waiting for the end of the world. It says we're to be waiting for the Lord Jesus Christ to show up. And the reason that is, is because that's the sequence of events in the last days and we won't be on earth for any of those other events that I just mentioned. By the grace of God, Jesus is going to get us out of here before all of that goes down because I can promise you, you don't want to be here for that. And God doesn't want us focused on that. He doesn't want us worried about that. And he doesn't want us waiting 
for that. He wants us waiting on what comes next sequentially in the order of events, which is the rapture or the coming of the Lord where we meet him in the sky. But again, understand there's a difference between knowing that he's coming and there's a difference between waiting for his coming. So there's this, there's this newlywed couple, right? They're a newlywed couple, and they, they don't have a ton of money. And so to save money, they'll stay at the, the wife's parents' house. And in order to, order to make ends meet, the husband has to take a job that forces them to travel for three weeks at a time. And, and the wife and her parents, they all know that the husband's coming back on the third week, third Saturday of October. And so the wife and her parents, they, they eat breakfast together every morning, and every morning her, her parents hear her say something like, only two more weeks before he's back. Only one week and three days before he's back. Only two days, 10 hours, 13 minutes, and 45 seconds until he comes back. And you get the point. And then that, that third Saturday in October comes, and the wife says with excitement, today's the day, today's the day. And her mom and dad look at her and say, well, it is, it is Saturday. Is there something special about that, that that we should be aware of? And the bride looks at them and, and says, my husband is coming back today. What do you mean? Her parents are like, oh, yes, of course, we knew that. <laughs> you see, they all three knew that the husband was coming home on that third Saturday in October, but only one of them was actually looking for him and waiting for him. In this church at Thessalonica, they were waiting and looking for someone. They were waiting and looking for a particular person, and that particular person is the Lord Jesus Christ, who, as our husband, is going to come back to get his bride, the church. You see, if you're, if you're waiting and looking for his return, it doesn't just change what you know, it changes what you do. And here's what starts to happen as you wait. All of a sudden, like we saw last week, our faith has works. We have love and our love has labor. We have hope and our hope has patience. And like we saw this morning, as we wait for Christ's return, we find ourselves with the humility to follow godly men's example as they follow the Lord and the discernment to know where they fall short. And by doing that, the next thing you know, you're the one leading others, but only in that order. We follow, then we lead. And as we're leading, we're being an example to others. We're a sample of the Lord Jesus Christ in their eyes. Maybe, it, maybe a sample that they've never seen before. And all the while that our life is an, ex, is an ex, example and we're, and we're leading others, we're, we're not just an example with our lives. We're an example with our mouth. We're an example with our words. The church of the Thessalonians' word sounded out to their region and beyond in every place. And, and God strengthened them to do those things and he gave them the patience to do those things that they did as they looked ahead to that day their faith would be sight. That was their hope. That was their blessed hope. They didn't just know Jesus was coming back. They were waiting for him to return. They were looking for it. They were anxiously anticipating it, and that distinction changed everything about the way that they live. So how are we doing on that this morning? We laid out five major characteristics of this 
model church in, in Thessalonica this morning? How, how are we doing on those? Listen, we're, 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 about, to, we're about to end in a song, but, but as we sing, can I challenge you to look at those five things on your study sheet and just evaluate where you are on that? Can I challenge you to tomorrow morning, instead of moving on to the next thing, can I challenge you in your quiet time tomorrow morning to look back at those five things and evaluate where you're at on that before you start your day? Let's pray. Jesus, I, I, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your truth, and I thank you that you're coming again. I thank you for the hope that that provides us, God. I, I pray that we would learn from this model church at Thessalonica, God. There's so much to glean from them. There's so much that we can take with us. There, there are so many things to apply to our lives. I'm sure many of us look at those lists, self-included, and we see ways that, that we need to grow and that we need to apply these things to our lives, God. I pray, God, that we would take all of these things with us. I pray, God, that our lives would change as we desire what you desire, which is for your glory and for your son to receive the glory that he deserves. And God, would you change us as we leave and not let us leave here in the same way that we came in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing as we respond to the word of God.